Hello and welcome to Soccer Raid Stories brought to you by Stat Sports. This is the brand new podcast series where in each episode, I'm joined by a different celebrity and a legendary footballer to talk about their childhood, their love of football, and of course, all things Soccer Aid for UNICEF. Soccer Aid is the world's largest celebrity football match. And over the years, we've raised over 47 million to support UNICEF's amazing work for children around the world. This year, it's all of us against COVID for every child everywhere. Every donation will be doubled up to 6.3 million until the 30th of November, thanks to the Children's Investment Fund Foundation, so you'll make double the difference for children. Right, let's meet today's guests. Joining us today is quite simply one of the best freestyle footballers in the world who's making a Soccer Aid for UNICEF debut this year, it's Liv Cook. Alongside Liv, it's the host of The Mars Singer and one of Britain's funniest men, it's Joel Domet. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a real honour to have you here. Obviously, Liv, want to come to you first. Last year, it should have been your debut at Soccer Aid. It didn't happen. You got injured. Talk us through what happened. I was heartbroken, you know. I was so excited to play in Soccer Aid. Like, it's such a big event. I was so excited. And a couple of weeks before, I think I got a little carried away with the training, you know. I kept playing football every day. I overdid it and tore my quad. I was gutted. Oh. But don't worry, Liv. You were injured. You didn't play in the game. But somehow, we touched the ball exactly the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually, what was your debut like, Joel? Absolutely horrific. I came on in the last eight minutes. Absolutely fine. Then Ashley Cole passed me the ball. And it just completely <laughs> rolled under my foot. And then nobody passed to me again, because, rightly so, because I completely, like, I mean, by that point, my confidence was completely shot. The rest of the team's confidence in me was completely shot. There was no going forward from there. And from then on, there was a couple of other times where people got the ball and then they looked at me and they went, I'm just going to go to Joe Cole instead. And that's the right decision. Liv, he's telling the absolute truth. He can't be that bad. <laughs> I didn't see this moment. Oh, you look so coordinated. I actually spoke to ITV and said, look, I think all the players should get their best bits they can put out on social media. There was no best bits for Joe. There was honestly none. There's no best bits. There's worst bits. You looked good in the kit, though. That's all that matters. That's what I'm there for. I'm there for the mummers. Can I just say, jokes aside, though, honestly, Joel... Joel had a really good week, to be fair. Oh, what I loved about you coming, Joel, was your enthusiasm. A bit worrying on the first day when you walked up to me and said, OK, Ollie, so how do you play football? Can you tell me how you do it? <laughs> I was like, are, are we supposed to be getting celebrities that can't play? <laughs> Is this where we've I got just to? like to, you know, I want to mix it up a bit because like you, Mark Rye, you know, you've got Serge, you've got all these people who are so good at football. And like, they're not, you're not football players, but you're so good at it. And so I'm here to just sort of level the playing field a little bit, provide a little bit of entertainment. You know what though? You, you Honestly, Joe, I know you're a comedian and you like to joke, but actually I'm being serious now. I thought you trained really well all week. And actually, I think you can actually play football. You really can. I think for me, when we was in training, I don't know if you remember this, but I was trying to encourage you. I was trying to, when you were doing the right things, I was telling you, you know, it's like, Liv, when you're on a football pitch, you're like, where are you going to go, Joel? And Joel naturally 
was like, I'm going to go right back. I'm going to go right wing, right back. That's where I'm going to be good because I've got, you said to me, I'm really quick. I've got good engine. I'm fit and I'm right footed. So we said, right, you go right back. And you did really well in training. Honestly, you know, on the pitch, genuine in training, really enjoyed myself. Ollie, you were so good as like a, a little mentor. You're just like, it's a scary situation for a boy who doesn't play football and like playing with all those people. And I'll always go to Ollie afterwards and he'd just, it's lovely little, little cheeky chappy voice, just be like, yeah, mate, you're really good. Don't worry, don't worry, mate, you're really great. And it would make me feel really nice. And yeah, I'd go back to my hotel room, have a little cry, but when I'd come back out the next day and I'd feel great. <laughs> but what about you, Liv? What are you looking forward to the most? Oh, everything. Everything. I missed out on the whole training week last year, didn't I? That looked like so much fun. I saw like you and Mark running around pranking everyone. I'm sure that would be great. But I think just getting out there, like, I just can't even imagine walking out to a packed stadium. I'll be bricking it, actually. I'll be absolutely bricking it. But I'm excited to brick it. Uh, just a question. Obviously, we all know you're a fantastic free slide. I mean, but where do you actually play? What's your position? Left wing. Oh, so you're left footed? No, 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 I'm right footed, but I like left wing, yeah. Okay, well, that's kind of my position, so uh, <laughs> we might have to... <laughs> Basically, we've got a we've got a pro freestyle football player that I think you're going left wing. It looks like I'll be moving positions. Speaking of, like, going out onto the pitch, Liv, honestly, I need to tell you, I don't know whether you even knew this, Ollie. I think genuinely the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me in my life and ever will happen to me in my life, right? Because I didn't come on in the first half, I was like, I think I'm going to take a penalty, right? And I think you maybe said to me, like, go out and just, like, practice some penalties. And I was like, okay. So everyone else was in the, uh, in the changing room, and I was like, I'm just going to go out half-time, practice my penalties in the goal in Old Trafford in an empty stadium, which was absolutely mad in itself. Like, just being there on that prestigious pitch, this beautiful, just completely empty stadium, and me doing penalties by myself, and just practice it, right? It was the weirdest thing. And then suddenly, I didn't know this, but Robbie Williams started playing on the stage, but he wasn't there because of COVID. So it was a hologram of him, which is even weirder, right? And a hologram of Robbie Williams then started playing on this stage up at the top and fireworks just went off all around me. There was like, because nobody was supposed to be on the pitch. So I was by myself. On a pitch <laughs> in Old Trafford, right? Curled up in a ball, crying, oh, what's going on? It was insane. <laughs> and but the best thing was like I scored. So I practiced I did one I did one penalty kick and it went wide. I was like, okay, it's fine. Wait, hang on, Joel, Joel. In an open net, there was no goalkeeper. Open net, no goalkeeper, panicking. And he still missed. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, Liv. This is what we're dealing with. You sound um, so happy. I scored. I scored. I, I know. And then the second one, I hit it in. It was beautiful. And then the fireworks went off and Robbie Williams started singing. I was like, this is the best moment of my life. I peaked. <laughs> and then I came Why on. couldn't that have not been in your there. best bits? That, that should have been in my best bits. I actually think if you watched ITV back, they did a big introduction for Robbie and there's a wide shot. Of actually Old Trafford, it'd just be great to see if you're if, if you in the goal kicking the ball in on your own. Well, look, the reason we're obviously doing this podcast is to raise money for UNICEF, and as you both know, the event last year we raised so much money. It's it is absolutely amazing, and the great work that obviously UNICEF do to help change children's lives. So I wanted to talk to you both 
about your upbringings and talk about Liv. Tell us when you first started playing football, when you knew that this was something that you wanted to do, and yeah, talk us through that. Do you know what? There was no moment for me where I discovered football. I was born into a family where they're all football mad. I've got two big brothers. So I think from the moment I could walk, there was probably a ball at my feet. And then from the moment, you know, I could talk and stuff, I was crying to let let my brothers let me play with them, you know, on the street and stuff. And to be honest, though, I don't think I played football properly. They kind of just shoved me in net and pelted balls at me. I was that younger sibling, you know. (laughs) It wasn't really fair. It's probably why my touch is good. But no, football's always been a massive part of me, like, after school, out on the street, before school, it was everything to me. Yeah. What about you, Joel? I was a huge fan of uh, Liverpool in like the sort of 90s. So last year, meeting David James was like the hugest thing for me. I had his shirt, I had his goalkeeper jersey, the third kit, the orange one, you know, that massive orange one. Yeah, I can remember I had that, that and with, with James written on my back. And so it was great to meet him. And I was I was a huge fan. I, and I did play football when I was a kid. I just never had a natural flair for it like you did, Liv. And it's like, I had a goal. And uh, like, you know, the ones that are all metal and you fit together yourself in your garden. And I was just bad at it. So I used to, you know, you just like always hit it wide. And then I had a, it was in front of, a, I lived in the countryside, like I lived on a farm. So every time I hit it wide, it would go in the field. And then I have to like go over a ditch <laughs> and then go over a hedge, go and collect the ball. It's quite dry out that I've been in net. We just had grid to grid or jumper to jumper. It was probably street football where I live. Oh, jumper to jumper. They're the games, aren't they? Get your jumpers down, throw your clothes down, put a goal out yeah. and just play. And then there's always that moment where it goes over the jumper and everyone's like, was that in? Was <laughs> yeah, that not? Yes. <laughs> and it's always the post, isn't it? Posting in. Yeah. It went posting in. It was posting in. Or the, the person that owned the ball got the decision. I'm starting to realise why I'm bad at football. I've genuinely not realised it until we've had this conversation. Is that I have a brother who was absolutely not interested in football. So he wouldn't play with me. And I lived in the countryside in the middle of nowhere. And I had no friends. I think that is, that is the reason I'm bad at Aww. football. I have no friends to play with. So I would, just, I would just kick the ball and then it would not go in the net. And then I'd go and pick it up and then I'd try and get it in the net again. You've got friends with us to play football with. Finally. But don't you think, I mean, I look back on them days when I played at school or outside my house, you know, down where the garages were, wherever it was, wherever I could play, I could play. It's so important, isn't it? I think for kids to do that, to be able to get a ball at their feet and just play. I mean, I learned so much as a kid doing that. I mean, we just had so much. We'd spend hours playing football. I think that's what makes football an incredible game across the world because it's in, in its essence it's so simple right all you need is a ball and even when you haven't got a ball you've just anything that you can like do keepy uppies with i mean mm. like to the extreme of it i remember when we were in when i was in the jungle with wayne bridge and like we obviously didn't have a football but we would just all bundle loads of socks together and put socks within socks within socks and socks and just play keepy uppies i'd be in my element yeah, God, yeah, yeah. You, you would have loved it. I'd be juggling everything around that fire pit. Exactly. It was so much fun to pass. Like we would do every day. Football is so weird. Like in its essence, it's yeah. so simple. And it's such a, like a community-based game where it brings loads of people together. And it's just like, 100%. it's so great. It's almost like a language that anyone can speak. It brings people together like nothing else. You see it in the Euros, like the way our nation came together. And every nation partaking, it's, it's unbelievable. And the confidence you can gain as well. Before football and before freestyle and anything like that, 
I was such a shy little kid. And now like football's given me everything. It's pretty crazy. Just talking about the keepy uppies, what's the strangest thing you can keepy up? <laughs> Anything probably. I don't know. I do it with my phone a lot. I need to stop that. It's a bit risky, isn't it? But yeah, <laughs> I love a few tricks with my phone. Have you not seen it on, on her Instagram? It's amazing. She just like catches it on her foot and then flicks it back to her friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. No, I saw it on TikTok and stuff, but I'm like, there's got to be a trick here. Like, not as it is a trick, but there's got to be something you're doing from the... Because that's got to hurt, no? Ollie, I'm just so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, be you, you better live up to this, Liv. I will. Chuck your phone at me. I've got it. Don't worry. <laughs> so what were you like as kids, though, aside from football? Joel, coming to you first, what was you like as a kid? Was you as, as cheeky and as funny as you are now or it's just like i'm i was weird man i'm just a weird guy <laughs> like and i didn't realize it until i was older and i was hanging out with people and people would be like you know how weird you are right and i'm like what i thought i was completely normal joel you're not weird you're limited edition you're unique <laughs> that's such a good phrase i'm gonna use that this is a perfect example i become obsessed with things for a very short period of time i was obsessed with taekwondo at one point right? And I got very good at nunchucks. That's just something I can do in my life. So I used to, before school, I used to go to my friend's house. He had a garage and he had like a little gym in his garage. And we used to like do weights and stuff in his garage. And then we'd run around the school field. This is, by the way, it's like six o'clock in the morning. I'm the only one who does that. <laughs> and we'd run around the school field. We'd also like, we'd go to school with like leg weights on, you know, those little Argus ones that go around you. Yeah, leg. yeah, yeah. We'd go to school with them on, right? And then we would walk around and at first point, it's like real heavy and you're like, oh, this is weird. And then you just get used to it. And then at the end of the day, we'd go to his garage and then we'd like kick this bag. Then you'd be like, oh, it's really heavy. And then you take the leg weights off and then your legs are just so quick. And like, you're like, whoa, <laughs> like you could fly. <laughs> at one point we, we used to run around the town, right? There was this like a four mile loop where we'd run around our place, the place we grew up called Thornbury. We used to just like take our nunchucks with us and we just like take our tops off. I, at one point I remember running down the high street of our town with nunchucks under my arm, with my top off. And this is another thing, shoeless. We decided to run four miles shoeless what? because we, we thought it was conditioning for the feet. We're mad. So the rest of our year is looking at us like, it's not Joel Domit <laughs> with no shoes on and nunchucks on his arm running down the high street. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can you imagine if there was iphones back then wait you don't have phones back then no i'm well old man i'm well no, old. i mean joe I, i'm i'm 37 how old are you joel 36 yes we would be in that era of um mobile phones with proper cameras probably didn't come in till about 2008 nine yeah not quite it was like just after when we was at school what in 90 i was in school in 95 to 2000 so there was no mobile phones then. We you, you used to do text message or you'd be able to tell your mum and ring her up, and, but you'd never had any credit on your phone. You had to get a pay-as-you-go. Oh, pay-as-you-go. That's a throwback, isn't it? But yeah, luckily, luckily, all the stuff that me and Joel got up to when we were kids, you wouldn't be able to see that now. So lucky. Uh, although I, the idea of seeing you of nunchucks running down the high street for four miles with no shoes or socks on just, just makes me laugh. <laughs> I wish it wasn't true. What about you, Liv? What was you like? Pretty similar, you know, like what you were saying about you get obsessed with things. Not the nunchucks running with no top on, absolutely. <laughs> but, like <in> the <laughs> but like you getting obsessed with things and having phases, I'm very similar. I seem to do that. And I think a lot of people like that, 
reach a level of success in their field are like that. It's a common trait that I think you need. I don't think it's a yeah. weird thing. I think it's quite good. It's a good trait to have. But yeah, I'm very much like that. But growing up, it was just football, football, football for me. I wanted to play for England. I wanted to be the best footballer in the world. Obviously, until I got injured. And then I ended up discovering freestyle. So it turned out to be a good thing. And then, yeah, just moved my obsession to there and went all in on freestyle. Quit college, just went tunnel vision on the dream. Obviously, you went to school. What was your favourite subject? Was it just sport? Yeah, it's got to be PE, hasn't it? Although I did always secretly like English. Never really admitted it because I didn't want to be too nerdy, but I liked English. What about you, Joe? What was your favourite subject? I, I was just a drama kid. I loved, loved, because the only thing that I was like actually all, all right at, I was one of those kids. I get really annoyed at my wife because she's one of those frustrating people where she didn't really need to try that hard, but she just got A's across the board. And I was one of those people that had to put in so much effort revised so much did all the extra classes and just got like b's and c's do you know what i mean i remember like the day that i found out i wasn't intelligent was i think in year eight when our class was split into two <laughs> random groups why did you realize you wasn't intelligent it was the red group and the blue group in our school and everyone in the red group was like and all the people in the blue group were just like i'm hungry you know? I, know, I remember at school they did that they did they split you into like ours was like four or five different grades basically and yeah you realize when you looked around that i remember looking around going this is everyone gets d's and e's in this group <laughs> i was the same i was d and e's i was i was less than you you were getting b's and a's i was i was d's and e's do you meet up with your friends in the in the playground at like lunchtime <clears throat> you'd be like oh what were you working on and they'd be like yeah these like simultaneous equations man <laughs> yeah and I'd be like, well, in my class, we were literally like fitting shapes into shapes. This year, Soccer Aid for UNICEF is all of us against COVID for every child everywhere because kids won't be safe until everyone they rely on is safe. To donate online, head to soccerae.org.uk forward slash donate and your donation will be doubled up to 6.3 million. Thanks to the Children's Investment Fund Foundation. Online donations close on the 6th of October 2021 at 5pm. See T's and C's and privacy notice at ITV.com. Let's move away from school and let's talk about your careers. I mean, Liv, you just touched on it then. Obviously, you wanted to be a professional football player and you, you said then you got injured. Mm -hmm. What actually happened? Can you just explain a bit of that? Yeah, so I was training football like four times a week and playing. It was quite serious. Like I was on track for professional football, which was the dream. It was everything to me. It's all I thought about, all I did before school, after school, even during school. It's all I thought about, really. Um, but I kept picking up this little like back injury. You know, one of them annoying ones that it's not bad enough that you need to just stop, but it's just mm. pestering you. And it kept coming back and back until one time we were doing... Um, a fitness drill like when you change direction and stuff oh they, they oh i used to see stars and vomit. is that the pitch the pitch from from six yard to 18 yard and back and then from six yard to the halfway line and back and then yeah you just keep going and all the way to the, you do the full pitch is that the one yeah basically until you die yeah, <laughs> yeah not nice not yeah. nice used to see stars afterwards and like be spinning i thought this isn't right this but i was doing that and i planted my foot and went to change direction and i just felt this like shooting pain go through my body and i just went to the floor and I just couldn't get up and do you know wow. to this day I'm not sure if my coaches actually believe me I think they might have thought I was trying to get out of fitness 
Probably is something I'd try and pull off, but you know, that's a bit excessive. Yeah, but I can only imagine the excruciating pain. I mean, anyone that's had a back injury, it is it Horrible. is horrendous and it really does wipe you out. I mean, I'm sure you didn't just go, oh, my back hurts. Do you know what I mean? You was probably like, ah! A few people did. They did fake injuries to get out of fitness, but this was different. I was out of action. Like I was out of all sport for like four or five months. So it was mm. pretty, pretty intense. I remember some mornings I couldn't even get out of bed. It was that much pain. It was horrendous. But during that time, because I was so competitive and football was everything to me, I couldn't just not have a football. So it was like, right, well, what can I be doing in my garden with a football that doesn't hurt my back? And I found like some weird like positions. Like if I sat down and tried to juggle the ball, obviously I couldn't do it at first, but wow. I practice it. And my touch was getting better. So in my head, it was like, okay, when I go back to football, at least I've improved somehow. So it started off as that. Um, but then I started finding like videos of freestylers online. And I remember there was this girl called Laura Biondo. And I saw her videos and I was like, how that is not, that's not possible. That's not human. Her legs, I don't even know what they're doing. They're flying around all over the place. It's bonkers. Mm. And from that moment, I was like, yeah, I want to learn that. And then obviously I just learned little trick after trick. Very obsessed, like you said, Joel. Like once I got one trick, I wanted the next trick and the next trick and the next trick. And it never stopped for me. I mean, we obviously mentioned our age earlier, but obviously you're a lot younger than us, Liv. So did you... Was you uploading content at that point, at that age? Was you just going, right, I'm really good at this. I'm just going to start uploading it. Or did you, like, how did you know that freestyling was going to be your career? Like, how did that work? I mean, for me, it was never a career move when I got into freestyle. It was, yes, I was uploading my videos in the garden on Instagram, but that's because that's what my generation did. If you pack it a crisp, you took a picture and put it on Instagram. Building my career to what it is today as a freestyler and everything that I do, wasn't intentional at least for the first three years because for me it was I want to learn the tricks I want to become the best in the world I want to win the world championships and in doing that there were certain things that I had to do like to walk out on stage uh, to a competition that you've trained five years for and you've got 90 seconds on stage how do you handle your nerves in that moment that's crazy level of pressure because you get a slight bit of jelly feeling in your legs you drop in the ball and you're screwed you can give up on your dream of becoming world champion you know so mm. to gain that confidence, what I started doing was performing. I remember like emailing all the events managers at fan zones for football matches. Like, can I come and perform? You don't even need to pay me. I just want to come and perform. Because for me, that was my way of gaining the confidence so that when I went out to perform in the world champs, I won't be as nervous. Now, obviously the world champs are a lot more nerve wracking than a performance that doesn't really matter if you drop the ball. But I was doing them things for that. I wasn't doing them things to have everyone in the audience know my name. I was doing it because I was going there to gain that confidence for my competition. So inadvertently, I was doing all these little things that were building my career, but unintentionally. And then obviously once I won, my direction changed and I was like, I need to actually make a career now. And obviously hearing about Liv, your story, I mean, Joel, I mean, you've gone from nunchucks running down a high street, which is very funny and you're a very funny guy. Did you show the same level of dedication to, to, to comedy and to going into TV? Like where... When did that happen? Did you did you run four miles and then realize, you know what, this is this is not going to be my career. I need to go into comedy. Like that was what, basically what? it. I really <laughs> genuinely put everything into taekwondo, and I realized very early on that I was like, I don't have the hips for this. So then I was like, something else needs to happen. Like when you say live, I have a very similar personality in the way that everything I do, I go full on into it. It's like I don't see anything else. I have like these blinkers on, and I just like go for it. And as soon as I found comedy i was just like nothing else mattered at all but when did you know that you were funny when was the first moment that you told a joke uh, like, i i kind of tried to go into acting for a bit and i was 
had a few jobs at that, but I just didn't really feel like I fitted it. Everyone just took themselves so seriously and I didn't really sort of fit into that model. I went to LA, I had a friend who lived in LA and so he, he was away for a while. And so I was like, I'll just live in your house in LA and I had no money and I, so I couldn't rent a car while I was there. And obviously we know it's like, you have to be able to drive there because everything's so far away, but I didn't have the money. So I just walk everywhere. And there was this comedy club right next to his house. And I, that was the only place I could walk to. I was there by myself. And eventually they just started letting me in for free just because they felt sorry for this little British kid <laughs> turning up at their door every time. And I, I was doing these auditions for like acting stuff, but I had such bad confidence levels. Like in the same, same way that you, you were living, it's like, it was like, I need to do something to fix this level of anxiety I have in a room with three people, right? Because I would go for these auditions and I would just completely fall apart. I just I had no self-confidence or self-worth. And so I thought if I can talk to a room full of people and make them laugh, then that will help me when I go into a room full of three people. And so I signed up to this like open mic night really close to this house in LA. And I went there and I did it. And it was it's like the most cliched movie moment ever. I remember walking back to his house down Sunset Boulevard over like the Walk of Fame stars. Wow. And being like, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that was like 14, 15 years ago now. And I still mm. have that same enthusiasm that I did on that very first gig. And it was, the first gig was horrible. It didn't go well at all. But I think that was part of the beauty of it. That like, I was, it was the first time I found something that was creative that also had sort of a ladder to it. It had something to learn. It was like, I just finally found myself in this world where I was like, oh, there's so much to learn here. And if I really dedicate myself to it, I really think I can improve and get better at it. It's so mad, Joel, because hearing you tell that story is very similar to how I was when I did X Factor. I was 25 and it's very similar to what you were saying. I did a few auditions for it. And at this point I was just in a small band, but actually when I did the auditions, it was always in a room before you see the judges, just for anyone listening that's like, oh my God, what? There's like <laughs> auditions before you see the judges? Yes, there's yeah. like tons. You'd walk into this room with people you just don't know and, and I had to sing, stand there and sing in front of one person, two people, you know, three people, whatever it was. And it was the horriblest thing. I hated every single minute of it. it was, the panic, the nerves, the anxiety, everything hit him. I remember getting through did my first audition in front of Simon and all the judges in front of two and a half, three thousand people. And exactly what you just said, Joel, when I walked, when I walked off stage and I got the tube home back to Essex and like, I'd just done this amazing thing. I did the same as you. I was like, oh my God, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So we've all experienced that same moment really of like, yeah, actually I really want to do this for the rest of my life. And like you just said, then I was like, oh my God, now I've got to learn how to sing, how to perform. Like I hadn't done this before, really. I love hearing these stories because you guys, like you seem so confident with what you do, you know, like whether it's singing or a comedy show or even presenting, like you just seem so natural to it. And I think a lot of people would look at what you do and think, oh, I'm not confident enough for that. I can't do that. They're just naturally like that. But I like not hearing at all. Like, yeah, the fact that it really scared you and you had to overcome it. It's such a process and it's like, like I'm, I'm presenting the NTAs in September. No, that looks awesome. It's so huge. It's such a like, it's such a huge moment, right? And it's like the fact that you're doing live television as well as being in front of 10,000 people and in front of your peers and the people that have inspired you and brought you to this point. 
it's like such a mind melt of like of madness of like it's huge right and it's so scary but it's that weird thing where it's like like with you in the competitions everything you've done has led you up to that moment and it's not necessarily about being the most talented person in the room it's about knowing that you can like lower your heart rate and be comfortable in that moment and just like understand that you've got it in you and you've done enough already mm. I feel like for me it's like everything I've done in my career was like training up until this one moment where it's like because it's so many different things combined it's like stand-ups like presenting it's like live tv it's like all these things in belden into one i remember asking you and like joel how are you <laughs> even saying it, i had to take a deep breath i'm like joel how are you feeling doing a live tv show like for me live tv is one of the most petrifying things you can do as a performer and as a presenter and i've done both and it doesn't get any easy. It's, it's I, I, I mean, like you said, you have to lower your heart rate, you take a deep breath, you have to like relax, get through the first couple of links, you know, and this is, this is huge doing the NTAs. I mean, that's a massive gig. I mean, for you to be doing it, Joel, it's amazing. It's a huge moment. And I know that you're going to, you're going to make it look so easy because you've got that attitude. I think like, you know, I'm sure when you, before you even go out, you, you should think really about that last, that first gig you just spoke about really and go, I remember being in America, like, but here I am now doing it in front of millions of people live. What I'm saying is you were so calm when I asked you the question, you were like, yeah, yeah. I think that's the way you've got to be like, because basically the way I see it is the only thing that can let you down on the day is your nerves, right? And so you've just got to keep control of that and mm. uh, hope that it's going to be all right. There's moments like that, that really you go like, whoa, how far have we come? Especially in the last couple of years when you've had that time to really sit inside and really appreciate it. But you're so good at being very self-deprecating. So I think the great thing about you, whatever happens, even if you made a mistake or you said something wrong, you're quite good at be like, yeah, I think that joke didn't go down very well. No one laughed, but hey, here we are. Uh, moving on, <laughs> you know, I think you're very good at that. You're very natural at that. It's, so, it's such an amazing, beautiful thing, live TV, because it's like everyone's experiencing it in the moment. It's so great. Another moment that really made me go, wow, with Soccer Aid last year, like, and I'm sure you had the same every year that you do it. It's like, I remember just being in that hotel, just like looking around at the people that are around, like, and the people that are involved are so huge. I remember just like seeing just like Wayne Rooney just stood there. <laughs> growling, growling at Joel because he hasn't passed the ball. <laughs> what are you doing, Joel? Exactly. It blows your mind. You can't believe that, like, the Ollie Murs is right there. Oh, shut up, Joe. Wayne Rooney stood next to, like, Patrice Everett. Do you know what I mean? You're like, it, like, melts your face how mad it is. Soccer Aid for UNICEF takes place at the Etihad Stadium on Saturday, the 4th of September. And you can buy your tickets at soccerade.org.uk. But, you know, Joel, you mentioned then, obviously, Soccer Aid. This year it is coming thick and fast. Obviously, the 4th of September, Etihad. I'm so excited. How are you both feeling? Liv, over to you first. I'm excited. I can't wait. The thought of being on the pitch, right? Just looking at the lineup. The lineup is insane this year. I didn't think it could get any better than last year. And somehow it has. And to think that Wayne Rooney is going to be next to me on the pitch. I can't, I can't actually think about it. Like, I think I might actually cry. Imagine the link-up play. Like, not only have oh, you got imagine. Rooney, you've got, you've got Paul Skulls. I mean, oh they called God. him, they called Paul Skulls the sat-nav. Like, basically, Joel, you're saying you never got past the ball. He will just find you wherever you are on the pitch. Yeah, if you yeah, just yeah. say, 
Scalzi, I'm over here, mate. I would never shout for the ball because I know I'll miss it. Like, I'd be so scared. They call Scalzi <laughs> the sat-nav. They call me the AA roadmap. <laughs> but the thing is, the funny thing is, Joel, you're saying that no one passed you the ball, but you've just confirmed to us you didn't even ask for the no, ball. No, I get so scared, man. <laughs> I get so scared. That I'd, like, I'd rather just like look like I'm doing stuff, you know, just run around, run up and down, and then like just a few touches. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be involved a bit more, and I'm going to be excited to... I can't do worse than last year. So I just really want to like feel like I'm a part of the game and do some really good touches, some good tackles, do some good, like I'm going to do a long ball to Ollie Murs off the head into the goal. Why he describes the play, Ollie, you don't even sound like a football player. I know, it's, it's, honestly, you just that. Into the goal. <laughs> <laughs> and then straight back to the dressing rooms and celebrate with the audience. In front of 50,000 plus fans. Can I just say, Joel, you think... Playing at an empty stadium at Old Trafford was scary. You wait until you walk out and there's 50,000 people. All right, Ollie, you're not helping the nerves right now. No, I, I honestly, <laughs> honest to God, I've done many shows, sung, performed in front of thousands of people. Nothing compares to when you're on the pitch and honestly, you've got 50,000 people. And you think when you do a bad touch, uh, a few of the players get a bit angry, but then you get the ball and you, you you make a bad touch or you don't play the right pass. They boo you and shout at you at the sidelines. You're like, okay, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> like, what is going on? And you can't even, right, he's here and I'm screaming at him. Wow. Right, give me the ball next time you get it. And he's like, yes, Mersey, no problem. I'm thinking, I can't even speak to Liv over here who's... 10, 15, because you, you have to scream and shout at the, the top of your voice. It's, it's, oh, it's, so it is, but it is the most incredible feeling. You honestly feel like a pro football player when you walk out Old Trafford. Like, well, this is going to be the Etihad, but I've never done it there. But at Old Trafford, I walked out and I was like, oh my God, this, I actually, I was leading the team out of a captain's armband. But, you know, behind Usain Bolt and Robbie Williams and all these people, I'm just like, oh my God, this is actually happening. And you walk out and it's that shots on the TV, you know, like it's, ITV do this shot where it's like it zooms out and you can just see the whole of the crowd like cheering your name. You're like, oh my God. So that's what you've both got to look forward to this year. The thing I couldn't, it just absolutely blew my mind how flat the pitch was. It's so <laughs> flat. Like it's grass, but it's like grass that's concrete. Joel, so not only are you going to look good in your kit this year, you're also going to be wearing, uh, I don't know if you know this, but wearing these stat sport vests. So you're going to look great because you've got pecs for days. I mean, you've got big shoulders. You're going to look great in it. And Liv, you're going to be wearing one as well. And there's these vests that they will basically monitor at your heart rate, how quick you're going, who the fastest player is. So at training, we're going to be getting all these stats. So it'd be interesting to see how many times you run with the ball, how many times you get the ball. Wow. I can't wait to put like a snail next to Bolt. Imagine his stat next to mine. I mean, imagine you running against Usain. That would be good, that, though. I like stats. The thing is, now that we know that Joel has got, like, a really addictive personality, now he's got his stats port vest on, you're going to be seeing him just running everywhere yeah. on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be the best. Just going from here, just, like, you know, constantly running around the pitch to try and get... I'm going to, like... You know, technically, the stat vest doesn't know how many times I've got the ball. So I'm just going to run everywhere. Yeah, and... they're going to be after the game, like... Peter Schmeichel normally does the uh, punditry. He's going to be like, so we've just seen the um, 
the, the heat map of Joel Domet and his performance tonight. I mean, look, he was everywhere on the pitch. <laughs> and weirdly, halfway through, he took his shoes off. I don't know why. <laughs> and bought some nunchucks out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but listen it's been so lovely talking to you both today I'm really excited about soccer this year I'm really excited about England our chances I'm excited about raising lots of money again I'm excited about having fans back and yeah I can't wait to have you both in the team on the 4th of September at the Etihad buzzing I can't wait oh, it's going to be so good I'm going to ask you both predictions Liv what are we saying we've got you down the left side this year you've got the freestyle you've got the tricks mm. Looking at our lineup, I reckon we're going to get a 3-1 win. Can't do that penalty shootout again. Bad enough for that. With Lee Mack's penalties, come on. I mean, everyone said it so far on the podcast, Lee Mack can't be taking penalties anymore. But now... <laughs> been practising, you know. Now I know he is, but now I know that Joel's been practising. Joel, what's the prediction? Um, I'm, th- I'm going to say 2-1. I think it's a very sort of like... I think that's going to it's going to be great. I think we've got Wayne Rooney. We've got Skulls on our sides. We've got uh, Liv Cook is out of injury. I'm back, baby. I'm ready. There's no stopping us. We're going to smash it. Amazing. Well, listen, you've both been amazing. Thank you so much for doing Soccer Aid Stories. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you guys very, very soon. Take care.